right, we are back. We noted in uh, in our first segment that uh, a lot of folks are convinced that there's no global warming going on. Curiously, a controversial email message, which was buried by the Bush administration because of its conclusions on global warming, surfaced last week, two years after it was first sent, first sent to the White House and never opened. It's curious that the Obama administration uh, took a look at glo- uh, greenhouse gases and concluded that they endangered public health. Well, Apparently, so did the Bush administration, or at least people in the Bush administration two years ago. The EPA in December of 2007 concluded that six gases linked to global warming posed dangers to public welfare and wanted to take steps to regulate their release from cars and the burning of gasoline. The document specifically cited global warming's effects on air quality, agriculture, forestry, water resources, and coastal areas as endangering public welfare. That finding was rejected by the Bush White House. And then EPA Administrator Stephen Johnson refused to release the document, which is labeled deliberative, do not distribute, to Democratic lawmakers. Now, the White House did allow three senators to review it in July of 2008 when excerpts were released. Anyway, I I hope George W. Bush is enjoying his retirement down in Crawford, Texas, as much as the rest of us are. And speaking of... uh, Republicans, uh, we noted that this got actually reported as news. Last week, the third-ranking Senate Republican said that the Obama administration appears to be launching a Richard Nixon-like political strategy of making an enemies list of people who disagreed with the president. This according to Senator Lamar Alexander of Tennessee, who once worked in President Nixon's administration. Said the failed presidential candidate Alexander, Nixon's White House had such a street brawl approach of attacking political opponents that can get you into a lot of trouble. The article noted that Alexander offered no evidence that Obama is developing an actual list, as Nixon famously did, of his opponents, but said the senator, I have an uneasy feeling only 10 months into this new administration that we're beginning to see the symptoms of this same kind of animus developing. Anyway, this sounds like a lot of political hot air to this correspondent. Although I did note with some concern that they apparently renamed that Portuguese water dog Checkers. So we'll have to see. We're uh, encouraged by the fact that um, some smart people are now advising the White House correctly about what NASA needs to do. This George Bush initiative that said we ought to go back to the moon uh, appears to be hopefully sidelined. A special independent panel told the White House last Thursday that uh, some better locations would be Mars, particularly the moons of Mars, and some asteroids which come near the Earth. This panel, which was chaired by Norman Augustine, also proposes that we keep the uh, International Space Station operating until at least 2020. I was somewhat dismayed to read that uh, the current plan is to crash it back down into the Earth in 2015. When you consider the amount of time and bother it is to put that much mass up there orbiting the Earth, it doesn't make any sense to crash it back into the Earth. If we do find that there's an asteroid out there that has our name on it, having something to work with that's already orbiting the Earth uh, might be smart. I mean, it does give you some mass up there that you could crash into something if you had to to divert it. Speaking of asteroids crashing into the Earth, excellent article on the current issue of The Economist. Noting how the story of how the dinosaurs disappeared might be getting a little more complicated. 
The fact that the Chicxulub crater in Yucatan appears to coincide very, very closely with the demise of the dinosaurs, well, that may not be the whole story. It appears that almost the same time there was a huge outpouring of lava in India, which was 65 million years ago, an island like Australia is today. But according to Sankar Chatterjee of Texas Tech University, there appears to be a crater, a very big crater in India, which may have reflected uh, an explosion a hundred times the size of the one that uh, created Chicxulub. It's being felt that he's making a pretty compelling case for an underwater mountain called Bombay High off the coast of the renamed Mumbai, which formed right at the time of the dinosaur extinction. It measures five kilometers from seabed to peak and is surrounded by the what's being called the Shiva Crater Rim. This crater, this crater appears to be 300 miles across. And the speculation is this may have punched a hole in the Earth's crust and induced some of these huge lava flows which came right afterwards. Of course, we saw back in 1994 when a, uh, a comet broke up into pieces and hit uh, Jupiter in succession that, well, maybe we're talking about the same sort of thing here on Earth. Except that the best dating suggests there's a 300,000-year discrepancy between these two big craters. Well, one thing seems for sure, it was pretty tough being a dinosaur when a couple of asteroids crashed into the Earth and there was this huge outpouring of lava, which pretty well would explain why it is there aren't any dinosaurs left. Scientists also, also think they may have found a crater in Ukraine, which may coincide uh, in its time frame to these other events. Curious stuff. Of course, one thing Dr. Chatterjee's... Uh, a theory might explain is the Seychelles Island, parked out in the Indian Ocean off the, uh, off the coast of Kenya. They're composed of granite rock, which is, you know, found on the continents, not, uh, not out in the, in the deep ocean. They've always been a mystery of what they're doing out there, and this might be why. Theory being that uh, the Seychelles were, were basically knocked off of the Indian subcontinent. Don't you love these scientific whodunits? We can't get enough of them on this program. And uh, some good news from Central Asia. Uh, now that the Aral Sea, once the, the, the world's fourth largest body of fresh water, covering an area the size of Ireland, uh, dried up in the wake of water diversions. and <laughs> There's a lesson for Northern California in that somewhere. Well, the World Bank and the, and the Kazakh government uh, built a small dam to see if some water cannot be... Uh, gathered up, and they've noted that uh, a small part of the sea has revived. This is accompanied by a picture of fishermen and fishing boats, something that uh, has been absent from the scene for quite some time. But uh, the former port of Aralsk, well, has a prospect of being a port again. The, the returning waters crept within 15 miles of the city, and they think it could reach the port in six years. Chris, what's curious about this is that uh, the Aral Sea has not been There's no prospect that the Aral Sea will be restored to its prior uh, uh, glory because the water diversions upstream, uh, well, have, have you know, remained in place. The Soviet Union did this back in the 60s. I remember reading about this as a boy, and uh, it has been uh, you know, an ecological disaster of the highest order, although a lot of people have made money by growing cotton and crops uh, you know, in Uzbekistan and other locations.
But the lesson, I think, is that once you've stolen the water, you don't give it back. This same issue of The Economist, by the way, picks up on uh, one of our favorite topics of late, California's water wars. Noting in the article that uh, parched places all over the world, like Australia and Israel, looking to California to see whether we can solve uh, this intractable problem of thirsty civilizations occupying dry regions. Pretty good article in The Economist. Uh, notes how skeptics uh, like to rail against the, the Delta smelt. Apparently George Radanovich, a Republican congressman, has called them a worthless little worm that needs to go the way of the dinosaur. That's the spirit, Congressman. Noted the magazine, but other fish species such as the Chinook salmon, the steelhead, and longfin smelt are also threatened, and each species is a part of a complex food chain. Noting that 80% of California's commercial fish live in or migrate through the Delta. And of course, as we've summarized on this program, the magazine notes that uh, the Sierra Club is against the canal because... It's not going to make new water. Spokesman noted that we want to reduce exports from the Delta rather than reroute its flows. Hello? And speaking of the Delta, as we are, it's noted that those warships you see when you come over the Benicia Bridge out there in Susun Bay, well, apparently they're going to be recycled. Article by Marcus Wilson in the Sacramento Bee noted that the Susun Bay Reserve Fleet more than 70 mostly obsolete vessels in Susun Bay has been the center of a nearly three-year deadlock between state water regulators and the federal government, which manages the ships. Apparently, congressional order said in 2006 uh, put out a deadline to scrap more than 50 ships in the fleet, but, regulatory, but a regulatory quagmire has kept them in place. There's apparently no disposal operations on the West Coast, so the ships will have to be towed to Texas to be broken apart said Deputy Secretary of Transportation John Porcari, it is worth it in environmental terms to do it the right way. You know, we had someone that was supposed to come on this program and talk about uh, that mothball fleet out there and the water quality around it, but apparently he couldn't get clearance from superiors in the federal government. So there you go. It's no secret that the stuff they put onto the hulls of ships uh, to keep worms from growing on them and barnacles and such, uh, it tends to be some pretty nasty stuff. So I say, yeah, take it to Texas. That's a good place for, for these ships. Anyway, uh, the father of the current Attorney General of California and former Governor Jerry Brown, that would be Edmund G. Pat Brown, uh, was the, the spearhead behind the California Water Project back in the 1960s. We find it curious that uh, Jerry Brown is running for governor again. He looks to be the front runner. We, we find Jerry Brown to be quite interesting because every so often when his, when his back's to the wall politically, he resorts to doing something that politicians seldom do, which is telling it like it is. article by Jack Chang in the Sacramento Bee last week noted that uh, Jerry Brown's 1990s radio gig may trip him up. Back in the 1990s, Jerry Brown, before he was uh, uh, back in politics as Oakland's mayor, hosted a radio show on the liberal Berkeley-based KPFA. On the show, he blasted corporations, politicians, including Democrats and others, for undermining democracy. <laughs> now that Brown's the undeclared frontrunner in next year's gubernatorial election, he's adopted a more measured tone. The B printed some excerpts from... Uh, 
His radio show is found on his We the People website, along with comments about them that he sent to the Bee last week. For example, the two-party system. Then, we need to move to a system of proportional representation so that the diversity of the population can be represented. It certainly can't be represented by the two-party system, not when you have such incredible differences in philosophy, in background, in world outlook. That has to show up if it's going to be honestly represented. Well, as Jerry Brown so famously said back in the 70s, that was then, this is now. Now the Attorney General says, In understanding the relevance of brief excerpts from my 1990s talk show, keep in mind that the goal was to provoke debate and lively discussion, not to craft legislation. We simply must find better ways to engage and represent the people. Proportional representation is one idea. An open primary is another. A constitutional convention is a third. But nothing can happen without broad consensus. Well, Mr. Attorney General, we did have an open primary system in California for a while until the Democratic and Republican parties conspired to take it away from us successfully at the U.S. Supreme Court level. Jerry Brown on prison growth, then. The big lockup is about drugs. Here's the real scam. The drug war is one of the games to get more convictions and prisoners. There's a lot of chemicals out there, and when certain ones are made illegal, they, be, make a, they become huge profit opportunities and bring violence, crime, and more people to imprison. Well, that was then. This is now. Now, Jerry Brown says, Drugs are a horrible scourge. Controlling and discouraging their abuse remains a profound challenge in our society. Adding, as it turned out, the three strikes law was modified by the courts and judiciously employed by most prosecutors. As a result, the incarcerations were less than expected. Yeah, remember like a few years back when we were about to overturn the three strikes law in California and then Jerry Brown and George Duke Majin and Pete Wilson and Gray Davis all got together to say, no, 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 we have to leave this in place. And finally, capital punishment, then. The great danger of humane punishment is that people will come to accept state murder as something sanitary. I don't think bureaucracy should ever be entrusted with that kind of power. Well, that was then. This is now. Now Jerry Brown says, As governor and attorney general, I have faithfully executed the laws of California, including those involving capital punishment. Anyway, you ready for a second Jerry Brown governorship? Um, I don't know if I am. But let us close the program with the following item. Earlier this month, the Jakarta Post took note of the worst week of the year in Indonesia, the week when maids take their vacations. Apparently, traditionally, at the end of Ramadan, domestic helpers uh, get a holiday. That's when Indonesian women panic. They start asking, where did the maid put the mop and the cream dispenser? Where's the on switch on the microwave? Reportedly, some families are so flummoxed at the prospect of doing their own cooking and cleaning, they simply leave for vacation or stay in hotels until their housekeepers return. Noted the paper, middle-class families in most other countries do their own chores. But in Indonesia, we have so much cheap labor that about half the country's population earns less than $2 a day that anyone who's even moderately well-off has servants. The maids are an integral part of our lives, yet we often overlook their vital contributions. We simply assume that someone will set the table, iron the clothes, and carry our bags to the car. Ask the paper, now that the servants are away, 
We can use this time for reflection. When the servants return, will we stop taking them for granted? Well, I'll bet the answer to that is no. But for the sake of the Indonesian servants, I hope the answer is yes. Anyway, we've got a fine piece of music to go out with uh, to end the show. This program was produced by Edward McMillan. I'm Douglas Everett. Our thanks to John Wood and our old pal, Will Durst. And we will end this program with a fine piece of bumper music, the classic from A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum, Everybody Ought to Have a Maid. Everybody ought to have a maid. Everybody ought to have a working girl. Everybody ought to have a lurking girl to potter around the house. Everybody ought to have a maid. Everybody ought to have a menial. Consistently congenial and quieter than a mouse. She'd be delicious, tidying up the dishes, neat as a pin. Oh, oh, wouldn't she be delightful, sweeping out, sleeping in? Everybody ought to have made someone who, when fetching you your slipper, will be winsome as a whippoorwill and graceful as a grouse. Fluttering up the stairways, shuttering up the windows, cluttering up the bedroom, buttering up the master, buttering all around. Everybody ought to have a maid Everybody ought to have a serving girl A loyal and unswerving